This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. This is going to be a, a sort of a hands-on show-and-tell evening, so I'm going to spend some time talking about certain technologies that are out there and that are new, and then we've brought samples of all of them, so we're going to kind of trade off back and forth uh, with Marlene showing them after I talk about them. Um, so really excited to be here and uh, speak with you about this subject that, I, that I'm really passionate about. Um, and Marlene and I are often uh, bouncing back and forth in the clinic, teaching people about all of the latest things. Um, so these are, are some of the uh, companies that I've worked with over the years um, and my disclosures. And here are Marlene's. And so before we dive into showing things, just wanted to, I guess, get some shouting out from the audience. What technologies in, in the diabetes space have you heard about? What are you most interested in? Um, so... Have at it. <laughs> Libre. Continuous glucose monitoring. More Libre. Insulin pumps, all right. And Dexcom. Good. All right, we're going to cover all of those. Um, so the, the agenda for the evening is to start talking about connected insulin pens, which actually nobody mentioned, so that's great. So we're going to teach you a little bit about, this is uh, still a, a new area. We will talk about continuous glucose monitoring and the various options. We're going to spend just a minute on some new digital coaching services that can, uh, that can help with diabetes. Um, and we'll talk about insulin pumps and, in particular, closed-loop insulin delivery, which you may have heard about uh, being called the artificial pancreas, but we're going to talk about... Uh, where that really is and, and why we might not call it that. So how many people have seen something like this? All right, a few. So this is, this is a diabetes logbook. So for years and years and years, we ask people with diabetes to uh, write everything down so that we can help them understand what's going on with their bodies uh, and manage uh, the condition. So this means the doses of insulin that they're giving themselves, their blood sugars, uh, people would write everything down. And so Fortunately, just like everything else in your lives, uh, we're transitioning to more modern technology and using the tools available to us and, and hopefully making lives easier for people. And so there is increasingly more modern software that shows you your um, continuous glucose monitoring tracing here and the insulin doses that you're delivering here. And as the patient, you may not actually have to extend any special effort to get this information in one place to work through with your physician or your nurse or your diabetes educator uh, to go through and talk about it. So let's now look at where are all these data sources coming from and what's available. So starting with connected insulin pens, so these were actually first approved in 2016, but are really just starting to hit the market now. So for most people, you probably haven't really seen or heard about these yet. So for many years, you had to draw up insulin from a vial with a syringe and then uh, inject it. Um, maybe 10, 20 years ago, uh, first came out with the insulin pen, but again, the information uh, was lost. So you might inject the insulin and not remember how much you gave if you didn't write it down in a book somewhere. So what these do is actually capture, just using Bluetooth and sending it to your cell phone, uh, capture the dose information uh, from the insulin pen so you can remember exactly when you took your insulin, how much you took, and you can share that information with the doctor. Um, it also has a calculator in it so that your doctor can kind of put in 
what settings they recommend you use, how much insulin you should take with each meal, and you actually just calculate your dose before you're going to eat so it can give a lot more flexibility. Um, so so we're going to show that here. This is an actual in-pan um, that uh, we managed to get our hands on. It opens like that. There's a cartridge of insulin then that would fit inside. The needle would fit on the end of that, and then you would dial up your dose and give it, and it would record the insulin dose and the time on uh, one of your apps on your phone. It will also calculate the insulin dose for you if you have um, insulin-to-carb ratios and you have the formulas in order to do that. So that would be programmed into your pen. You would dial it up, take it. It would record the amount that you took, and it would track how long it was out there or the duration of the action of it. So it can be a really handy tool. Um, now, the company that makes this is still a small company in San Diego, um, and you know it's a little bit slower for them to get out into the market into all of the pharmacies. Uh, a much larger company, uh, Novo Nordisk, is coming out with their version of, of this connected pen sometime later this year. So uh, those will probably be in much more widespread availability. Um, and so some of the advantages, uh, if you've... Uh, either yourself or with a loved one, seeing anybody struggle with some of these problems uh, as they're giving themselves insulin, it can be very easy to forget to take an insulin dose, to give yourself two doses back to back. Um, I left the house yesterday and forgot to turn the alarm off in the morning and woke up my, <laughs> my wife and daughter and they were not very happy with me. And, you know, just little everyday things like that um, can be very hard to remember. And so having something that actually reminds you uh, and can help you with that can be, can be super useful. Um, so again, can help with dose calculations and drive the conversation with your doctor because you actually will have, rather than the doctor saying, you know, how have things gone the last few months and you have sort of a general conversation, you can actually look at the information uh, that, uh, the real information that's happened over the last few months uh, and discuss it together. So it can drive much uh, higher value visits with your, with your clinical team. Okay, so let's talk about continuous glucose monitoring. So Marlene and I were talking about this the other day uh, in clinic. So what have been sort of the life-changing new technologies over the years? So the first one was really the, the in, uh, invention of finger stick blood sugars in the 1970s and 1980s. So before that, uh, there was some urine testing. Um, so these are our typical finger stick uh, glucose meters. Uh, still, it's a very painful and arduous process, can be expensive. Continuous glucose monitoring uh, was first introduced in 1999. Uh, the, the early technologies were, were very slow, inaccurate, expensive, and so they're really starting to come into their own in more recent years, and we'll talk about some of those uh, in a minute. And then closed-loop insulin delivery, uh, or the artificial pancreas, uh, was first introduced in 2017. So... Uh, this was one of the first finger stick glucose meters called uh, affectionately the guillotine. Uh, you can see why it might, be, uh, might have been called that. And, you know, so I'm going to jump all the way from the guillotine, skip the last 20 years to what the most recent experience is, which is the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor. So Marlene has that here. Um, do you want to talk about the... Sure. Uh, so this is the insertion device that puts the sensor under the skin. People do this themselves. The sensor then um, sits underneath the skin. A little transmitter sits on top of it. That information is then beamed over 
to your receiver, and it will show you what your glucose level is now, what the direction the glucose is moving in. Is it going up, going down, staying flat, and where it's been in the last several hours? So you can also set alarms on here so that it will let you know if you're dropping too low, if you're going too high. Um, you can share the information with uh, a loved one that can follow your glucose readings as well as you. It's great for um, adults. It's great for uh, parents who have children with diabetes who are at school. You can watch this from, from home and know that everything's okay or that something wasn't okay, but it got fixed. So you're holding what looks to be a pretty large device in your, you know, this, this. No, in your left hand. What part of that goes up? Oh, so, oh sure. You can't see it. You can't really see it. It's uh, uh, about three eyelashes thick and um, uh, maybe a quarter of an inch uh, to a half an inch long. That's what sits underneath the skin. This is then taped on the skin, and it sits flat on the skin. People wear it on their abdomen. You could put it on the back of your arm. And uh, so it's got a pretty flat profile. That's what's actually on top of the skin. That gets changed every 10 days. Yes. yes. So what goes under the skin is just a tiny little wire sensor um, that you know most people, and I've worn them as well, say they don't really feel them when they're wearing it. So uh, yeah, the, the big chunky part sits on top. Um, so you can see what a, what a major change that is, right? So from going from pricking your finger all of the time, uh, which is, is painful, um, only gets you one data point at a time, so you're getting one number. But in real life, uh, as with everything in our bodies, if you remember back to your science classes about homeostasis, the body is constantly ebbing and flowing and trying to keep itself in balance, and your blood sugar is no different. So getting a, a single moment in time blood sugar is very different than you know Marlene was talking about, where you're actually seeing the ebbs and flows of your blood sugar over time, and it's much more information that it's providing you. Um, and actually, the newest ones uh, are approved as accurate enough to not have to do finger stick calibration. So you can just insert it on, wear it for uh, about two weeks, um, and not have to do finger sticks unless you suspect that, that something uh, is wrong and that you're not getting an accurate reading. Um, and I'll get into a little bit more detail about the timing. Um, so how does this compare to the different ways you might measure your blood sugars? So many of you have probably heard about the hemoglobin A1C, which is the test that all of the TV commercials talk about and that your doctor may be asking you to get every three months. Um, there's the finger stick blood sugars that we've talked about and continuous glucose monitoring. So how do we think about these differently? How do they complement each other? So the A1C remains the gold standard test. It's measuring three-month averages of your blood sugars. And all of the studies that have been done, the clinical trials over the last several decades, have used that to predict the risk of diabetes complications. So it remains the test that helps predict your risk of diabetes complications. But it doesn't really give much guidance uh, into how you're changing your medications because you're just getting a three-month average. And I'm going to show you in a moment how averages can be misleading. Uh, we've talked about finger stick blood sugars and continuous glucose monitors. So one of the other advantages of the, of the continuous glucose monitors is that they can give you alarms or alerts. So if you're using insulin, you go to sleep at night concerned about whether you might get a low blood sugar overnight, the, the continuous glucose monitor can actually alarm and wake you up and prevent, uh, prevent you from having a, a low blood sugar that you don't notice. 
So here's where I was saying that averages can be misleading. So these are two patients who both have an A1C of 8%. And you can see the person on the bottom has some squiggly lines of blood sugars going up and down. That's pretty normal to see blood sugars go up and down all day. And the person on top has much wider swings. So they have many more highs and many more lows. And so if you go in and you get just a hemoglobin A1C, you would never know that you might be having all of these highs and lows if you're only looking at the average. So this is one of the reasons that we think continuous glucose monitoring can be so impactful and so valuable is to actually see the variations in your blood sugars over the course of the day and not just have an average. Okay, so the Libre. So anybody know who this is? All right, so Theresa May wears a Libre. Um, so uh, one person who's slightly less impressive and important than <laughs> Theresa May uh, wore one, uh, but I just wanted to put myself on the same slide as her, uh, the, probably the, the, first, the first, last, and only time. <clears throat> so um, the Libre, uh, Marlene will show you in a moment. Uh, actually, let's do that now. Why don't you sh so this is actually inside of a plastic case, so it looks a little bit bigger than it actually is. But really the only um, piece that would be on the outside of the skin is this um, piece right there. It's about the size of a quarter and maybe two quarters thick. It goes underneath the skin. Most people wear them on their arm. It's got an insertion device that pops in. I've helped many, many patients put these in. Everyone says it does not hurt. Then you have your reader. And so when you turn your reader on, you can actually scan the Libre. So if I have my Libre on my arm, I scan it, and it shows me what my glucose level is now. It shows me the direction that it's going in. Is it going up? Is it going down? Is it fairly flat? And it shows me where it's been. The only problem with the Libre is right now it doesn't have alarms. So you actually have to scan it in order to see what's going on. It's not going to alert you. So these are worn for 14 days. You take it off, put a new one on. It takes an hour to warm up before you get readings. And so to answer the question earlier about uh, battery life and things like that, so the Libre actually doesn't have, it's disposable, so there's no, no battery uh, that you have to worry about. With the Dexcom G6, there is a transmitter that gets replaced every six months. That's the transmitter. Oh, sorry, three months. Every three months. Thank you. A new one. Yeah. A new one. <laughs> Um, so let me show some cases of people who have been in our clinic to show you um, what, uh, what these things can do and how they can help. So this is a tracing from somebody wearing Libre. Um, this was uh, a 54-year-old who'd had a kidney transplant, takes uh, some insulin, takes a medication called repaglinide to help lower the blood sugars. And what I think is, is pretty... Uh, clear here is that this person has very high blood sugars every afternoon and evening and every morning is dipping low into the red zone. And so again, thinking about if we were just to get an A1C, we might see the average and not actually know that that was happening. You could also imagine somebody uh, doing finger sticks at different points in time. So you could get a finger stick here 
maybe a finger stick here, and you might know that there was something wrong, but you wouldn't really get the same amount of information, and especially to see the patterns, to see that it's the exact same thing happening every day. We can make some adjustments to the uh, therapy plan uh, with a lot more certainty and a lot more information. So here's a, another patient, a 70-year-old gentleman uh, who has type 2 diabetes, takes a medication called metformin, uh, had a hemoglobin A1C of 7.3, um, taking a smaller dose of metformin, increased that, uh, was able to get the A1C to 6.5, cut down on his dessert, and he said, I'm, I'm never going to do finger sticks. So I convinced him to do a Libre. Um, and here's what we found. So... Um, we saw that he was mostly having good time and range, 94% time and range. Average blood sugar was 121. Um, and so some people might say, let's stop there. That's, you know, that's good enough. But if you actually look at the detailed data, something jumps out at you. And if you look one step closer, you can see another trend. So every morning, something happens called breakfast. Now, you got to eat breakfast, but it turns out, he said, oh, my breakfast every morning is a tall glass of orange juice and a banana. <laughs> um, yes. So lots of carbohydrates in those, um, and his body was not able to really handle it well and was causing these blood sugar spikes every morning. Um, and if you look actually before and after the spike, so if... He had been doing finger sticks, as we usually tell people to do, do a finger stick before you eat, do one a couple hours after you eat. What we would have seen are blood sugars that don't look so scary. Um, blood sugars right around 100 before eating, around 100 after eating. People might say that's fine, don't change your therapy. But when you see that spike, you think, you know what, let's cut out the orange juice, let's cut out the banana, and he did and, and saw um, dramatic improvements. So how, uh, how are people getting Libres in terms of access and cost? So for people on Medicare, they are requiring you to be on four finger sticks per day or on insulin. So it is a little bit more restrictive in terms of who's able to get Medicare to pay for one. Private insurance companies seem to mostly uh, not be having requirements. Um, the cash price is about $60 per sensor um, I just looked yesterday on on uh, GoodRx at you know what the coupon prices were, and they were around sixty dollars uh, each. Um, but if your insurance company is covering it, uh, there are coupons from the company that uh, are capping it at about seventy five dollars per month. Um, so they are not cheap, um, but many people are paying this much money or sometimes more for uh, strips anyway. Um, and so it's a, it's a reasonable trade-off. The other thing we've been coaching people is that, you know, if you, if you have type 2 diabetes, you're not on insulin, you're not at risk for low blood sugars, you can get a lot of information by wearing this once, like this uh, last gentleman I showed you uh, with the banana and the orange juice. So you could get one and do it one time, you could do it once every few months, and get a lot of information about what's going on with your body um, and not need to wear one all the time. Okay, so I'm going to spend a moment about um, some of the coaching apps and tools. So 
There are a growing number of companies uh, who are using digital technology combined with uh, a coach in the cloud. So these are often people who they pay who may be located all over the country who are diabetes educators uh, or nurses or other uh, clinical people who are text messaging with the, with the customers or the clients um, and providing them some coaching. So every single one of these companies has a little bit different flavor. So some of them focus more on pre-diabetes. Some of them focus more on, on diabetes. But essentially, they're all going to give you either a scale or a glucose meter that's connected to the Internet and connected to their coaches and actually have someone... Uh, for a monthly fee, who's providing you coaching. Some insurance companies are paying for these services. Some are not. So it's, it's very much uh, individualized at this point uh, as to whether, uh, whether those are covered. Um, one of them is, is quite different than the others, which is Verta Health, which is doing an extremely low-carbohydrate or, or ketogenic diet. They're also very expensive. Uh, some of their early data is showing that they're, they're having uh, a lot of benefit in improving outcomes for people with type 2 diabetes, um, but you have to be motivated to go on, on a diet like that. Um, on Duo, what's notable about them, I'll show it in a second, is that actually is a spinoff from Google. Uh, and they are using some interesting technology that you might use in other walks of life from Google. So what Onduo is bringing to the table, so same as other companies, they're giving you the kit, but they're allowing you to take photos of your food and uh, everybody, as, as I think I heard one of the people from the company say at a conference, all of the photos you're taking of your dogs and cats and of your food at home are being put to good use. So they're trying to build uh, artificial intelligence to recognize food images. I don't think they've cracked it yet, but that's their goal is to actually help understand what's in your food to help drive better care decisions um, for, the, for the coaches and for your lifestyle. Okay, so what about continuous glucose monitoring if you have type 1 diabetes? Because it's a little bit of a different animal than uh, if you're dealing with type 2. And to give a little bit of a historical perspective, so the first insulin pump uh, came out in 1983, and that was from um, what used to be Minimed, now Medtronic. And as I mentioned earlier, the first continuous glucose monitor uh, came out in 1999. Um, these were pretty rudimentary devices at the time, but things have gotten better. And if you look at the data uh, of people across the United States with type 1 diabetes, continuous glucose monitoring has grown pretty rapidly uh, just in the last decade. So only eight years ago, in 2011, just 6% of people um, from this large uh, survey cohort called the T1D Exchange were using continuous glucose monitoring, and that's up to 38%. So quite a dramatic improvement. Now, I actually look at this and think there are 62% of people with type 1 diabetes not using continuous glucose monitoring. And so let's, let's talk a, a minute about why I think that should change. I think a lot of people were turned off by the technology in early years. Um, there were a lot of issues with how big they were. The insertion could be incredibly painful. They were very expensive, and not all insurance companies covered them for people with type 1 diabetes. Uh, as, as clinicians, we were often writing letters, begging insurance companies to cover these things. The accuracy wasn't very good. You still had to do four finger sticks a day to, to try to keep it as accurate as possible. You had to replace it every three days or sooner. And it was really hard to get the information off of the device to share it with your doctors and kind of do everything with it. So you can imagine, given that, why a lot of people might not have been using them. 
But uh, with the devices that Marlene was showing you, with the Dexcom, with the Libre, um, they're starting to get much smaller, not snagging on clothing quite as much as they used to. You can wear them in swimming pools, in the shower. The insertion is much easier and is painless. Insurance companies for people with type 1 are generally quite good at covering these as long as you meet pretty minimum requirements that, that most people do meet. Um, of course, co-pays and co-insurance are still very variable depending on what plan you have. So in the modern era, just because something's covered doesn't mean it's cheap, unfortunately. Um, the accuracy has gotten much better. Uh, these two devices we've talked about no longer need finger stick calibrations. You can actually wear them for 14 days. Um, and you can now put the information on your cell phone into web applications and places where you can actually make use of it. So the world has changed, and so um, the Endocrine Society, which is, is our largest professional organization for endocrinologists, um, comes out with their guidelines, and more or less uh, their guidelines say that every person who's got type 1 diabetes and is willing to do so should, should have and use a continuous glucose monitor, and, and I believe that strongly. So here uh, are the comparison of the available devices. So we've talked a lot about the Libre We've talked about the Dexcom G6. The G5 is, is essentially being phased out. Uh, Medtronic's Nlight 2, similarly, is mostly, uh, mostly falling away. So the way we think about this uh, in our office is that for most people with type 1 diabetes, the Dexcom G6 is the most accurate device. It's the one we prescribe most. It's the easiest to use. Um, I'm sorry, I said 14 days. It's 10 days. I, again, am thinking about other models here. Um, Freestyle Libre is 14 days. Um, and then the other one we see quite a lot of is the Medtronic Guardian 3. The reason for using that is we're going to talk in a, in a few minutes about closed-loop insulin delivery systems. And if you want to use Medtronic's closed-loop insulin delivery system, you have to use their sensor as part of it. We typically, in our practice, don't prescribe a lot of those as standalone sensors because we've found that people seem to like the uh, Dexcom sensor better. Um, a new entrant to the market uh, is a company called Sensionics that makes a sensor called Eversense, and I'm going to show you a little bit about that uh, in a minute. It's the first sensor that's actually uh, much more long uh, term. You can wear it for 90 days, but it's actually a small surgical procedure to go under your skin. Uh, it's not a uh, self-insertion like the ones we've showed you here. So our feeling is if you have type 2 diabetes, you're not on insulin, you want to learn more, then the Freestyle Libre is really the right thing. It's cheaper. It's quite easy to use. A lot of insurance companies cover it. It's less accurate than the Dexcom, um, but it's accurate enough to give useful information. For most people with type 1 diabetes, if you're not using the 670G, we tend to prescribe the uh, Dexcom G6. So... I want to give you a little bit of a peek under the covers at what your doctor uh, and, and other clinicians are, are looking at and thinking about as you come in with your continuous glucose monitoring data. So we look at, do we have enough data to even think about this? So do, if you only have one day of data, then patterns may not mean anything. If you have two days, patterns may not mean anything. And similarly, if you haven't worn it at least 70% of the time, there's going to be dropouts in the data. What we're really looking for when we think about time and range is about 70% um, 
more than 70% time. And again, we're talking really here for people with type 1 diabetes um, is what I'm focusing on here. Uh, percent time in hypoglycemia should be less than 3%, and percent time in hyperglycemia should be less than 25%. These are very rough targets. We individualize these with most of our patients. But just to give you a sense of, of how you might think about this as you look at your own information, so if you get a report uh, from Libre and you're looking at it, it's going to show you this time and range. We like to see that as high as possible. We also do look at the standard deviation because that gives you a, a sense of how much undulation there is um, going from high to low and high to low. Um, one cool thing, I've never, I actually don't have anybody who uses this, uh, but I think this is showing the possibilities now that these technologies are actually connected to the internet in a way they weren't in the past. Uh, this company had a clever idea that they actually, uh, just on your, if you have an iPhone, um, you can connect the Dexcom information into their app, and you can preset an emergency contact. So if you get a low blood sugar, um, it'll um, automatically uh, send a, a text message or call that person. Um, so all kinds of possibilities as these things start to become connected to the Internet with what application developers um, can create. Uh, when you come see us in our practice, we'll probably sit down with you and, and talk through something like this, uh, which you saw earlier, where we're going to pull in information from your, if, if you have these connected devices, we're going to pull in information from your pump or your continuous glucose monitor or your insulin pens, and we're going to walk through the data and try to use it to help guide your care um, in, a, in a more targeted way than, than we might be able to do with just an A1C. Okay, so here's the EverSense uh, implantable continuous glucose monitor. So full disclosure, we've never actually used this in our practice. And I don't uh, have one to show you. And we don't have one. <laughs> um, but these are, uh, these are out there in the world. There are increasingly some endocrinologists who are putting them in. We've just uh, decided we, we haven't had enough demand in our practice yet um, to do it. Uh, but as you can see here, you basically the doctor is, it's a less than five minute surgical procedure, but they use a device um, to uh, basically insert it just under your skin and they leave this, this small, um, almost pellet uh, that, that is the sensor under your skin and it stays there for 90 days. You do still wear something um, above it. So these can go uh, sort of on your flank and the small of your back or the back of your arm and you still have to wear something on the skin above it to sort of read it and, and send the information but you can actually take it on and off. So some people prefer that because they can actually remove the, the, the object on the skin completely so that there's no sign that they're wearing a continuous glucose monitor at all. Okay, so let's talk about insulin pumps and closed loop. So before we dive into this, why don't we do mm -hmm. some show and tell with uh, the pumps? So just to give you an idea of what's out there, there's really only three pumps available right now. <laughs> One is the um, T-Slim, so this is a tandem pump. It is a um, touch screen. It's a colored touch screen. It has a, a syringe of insulin inside. There's tubing that comes off of this and uh, attaches to um, an infusion set, and I'll show you what those look like. So this um, will team up with the Dexcom, and so you can see your Dexcom information on here as well as your pump information. Um, next, I'll show you the tubeless pump. 
So there's one pump on the market that doesn't have tubing, and to some people that's quite appealing. That's the Omnipod, and so this has um, a sticky backing to it. This is actually the pump itself. People wear it on the back of their arm or they wear it on their abdomen. You fill it on the back, you uh, fill it with insulin, and then it pumps through a little catheter that sits underneath the skin. You wear it for three days, you take it off, you put a new one on. The controller looks like this, and this is where you program your basal insulin rates and your bolus uh, ratios, and you would um, put in your blood sugar, tell it how many carbohydrates you're eating, and it would calculate the dose. You would push a button, it would send the message to your pump, and the pump would deliver that bolus for the insulin. Right now, it's not integrated with any of the um, CGMs, but they're frantically working on it. And then finally, um, and Aaron's going to spend more time talking about uh, the 670G, which is the only partially automated pump. This is, if you remember the slide of the first insulin pump, the mini-med pump, this is the, the latest Medtronic pump. It has a, a place where there would be a syringe full of insulin and tubing that will come off of that that will attach then to an um, infusion set that goes underneath the skin and delivers the insulin. This is um, programmable for your basal insulin. You tell it what your blood sugar is, just like the Tandem and the Omnipod. It will calculate the dose and will give it to you. This will work with the um, Guardian sensor, and Aaron's going to tell you more about how that sensor works. It's a CGM but it works together with the pump to determine how much insulin to give. Um, last thing to uh, show you is the infusion sets themselves. This is um, our example board. But an infusion set looks like that. It sits under the skin. It's put in there with a needle, but it's actually um, just a plastic cannula that sits under the skin. You can disconnect. I'm not trying to take the whole thing off. You can disconnect it and just leave that there if you wanted to go swimming or take a shower. If you wanted to be off of the pump for a short period of time, you could do that. This then ultimately is the tubing that would then attach to your pump. And so that's my pump here. So that ultimately then would be um, the setup for the Medtronic pump with the tubing attached to it. <coughs> All right. Okay. So, yes. Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the question for people in the back was, uh, do insulin pumps, um, we were talking about them for type 1 diabetes, do they also allow you to cover basal insulin or, or long-acting, or do they only have fast-acting insulin? And so the, the way an insulin pump works is that they are filled only with fast-acting insulin, but because they're pumping them into you continuously, um, you are delivering a basal insulin dose. So for people who are taking injections, they might take two different kinds of insulin, one that they inject once or maybe twice a day that covers what we call the basal insulin, their basal metabolic rate, and is covering you all through the day in sort of a, a, a flat uh, mechanism of action. Um, and then when you're going to eat, you cover yourself for your meals and the food you're going to eat with fast-acting uh, bolus insulin. So with a pump, it's dripping in slowly, fast-acting insulin all day for the basal rate. 
and then you tell it when you're going to eat. You you punch in, you know, I'm going to have 30 grams of carb or 45 grams of carb or 50 grams of carb, and my blood sugar is 140, and it's pre-programmed uh, with the calculations, and it will deliver a bolus uh, just like you would be taking a bolus. So even there's only even though there's only one kind of insulin actually inside the pump, you are getting both the basal and the bolus insulin. Now I will say that one of the risks of the pump is because you're not actually injecting basal insulin. Um, you saw Marlene showed you that there's long tubing and you've got a machine here. And as we know, machines sometimes do fail. And so one of the risks of the pump is that if the uh, cannula site gets clogged or sometimes the cannula bends or the tubing can get clogged or sometimes the pumps have mechanical issues or the battery dies, the insulin might stop infusing or not, uh, not be able to get into your body. And because you don't have long-acting insulin in your system, if you have type 1 diabetes, it can become uh, an urgent situation uh, more quickly than it does if you're taking injections. So they offer a, a lot of convenience for people. If you're an athlete, uh, you can you can change your dosing quite uh, quite variably if you want to. Um, whereas if you take an injection of long-acting insulin, you take one dose, that's it for the whole day. With these, you can change those basal doses up and down uh, through the course of the day. Um, so you get a lot more flexibility, and there's the calculator built in. Uh, so it's remembering all of the insulin doses that you're getting. It's helping you calculate. So there are many benefits to insulin pumps, um, but there are some, there are some potential uh, downsides as well that you have to be aware of and, and at least be careful for uh, if you're using them. You want Anything else you want to say about that? Yeah, I think it's, just, it's, a, it's another way of delivering insulin, and I think that you know, for some people it's more of a convenience but truly it's a way of, of delivering insulin. Now we have other reasons why people might want to go onto an insulin pump. People who never wanted insulin pumps before are looking at them again, uh, and that's because of this closed-loop um, interaction between the CGM and the pumps that can help to determine. It's often very difficult to really figure out how much basal insulin you need during the day, um, more during some parts of the day, less during other parts of the day. How do you adjust when you exercise? How do you adjust when you're working versus at home? Um, not being very active. To have um, technology that could actually figure that out for you is really pretty remarkable. So people who weren't interested in pumps are, are starting to look at them again. Yeah, question here. So, yeah, so I should have mentioned that earlier. Thank you. So the, the smart pens that I showed earlier actually only do short-acting insulin. Um, they don't do long-acting insulin yet. Um, maybe someday they will, but um, they've not done that yet. Um, but it does mitigate some of the issues or some of the reasons that someone might choose a pump over a pen was for the memory and the calculator and um, the, the smart pens offer that. So um, for some people who might have chosen an insulin pump for those reasons in the past, there might be a little bit less reason uh, to do it uh, in 2019 than there was in the past. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I mentioned the, um, uh, the flexibility you get when you can use an insulin pump with the basal doses, uh, giving you the flexibility to turn them on and off, and that does... Uh, better mimic what the body does. So when we give you a long-acting shot of insulin, 
we are trying as best we can with the tools we have available to give you a basal dose of insulin that's going to last you the whole day. But in reality, the body doesn't work that day, right? You wake up in the morning, you get a surge of adrenaline when you wake up and blood sugars often rise, uh, something we call the dawn phenomenon. And with a, with a long-acting insulin, it can be really hard to account for that. With an insulin pump, you can say, okay, I'm going to set my, my dose here, uh, for some part of the day, and then when I wake up in the morning and I know that uh, I'm going to need extra insulin, I can increase the basal rate and just have it preset like that uh, for every day. As a female, uh, insulin resistance and, and insulin needs often change during menses and during the menstrual cycle, and so you can actually pre-program uh, different settings and different profiles on the insulin pump uh, to account for the changes you might experience uh, before and during a, a period. Um, so, so there are lots of uh, other reasons to consider um, insulin pumps. Okay. So what about closed-loop uh, delivery or the artificial pancreas? So when you're using an insulin pump before the world of, of closed-loop insulin delivery... So let's imagine you are wearing a continuous glucose monitor on, on one part of your body and you're wearing an insulin pump on another. So the continuous glucose monitor is measuring your glucose level continuously and you can use the pump to be delivering insulin continuously. Until 2017, you were the brain in the middle. So all of the decisions about how much insulin to give based on what those glucoses were are up to the user. So we call that open loop insulin delivery. And so that basically means you're looking at the blood sugars and you're making the determination completely about what to do and how much insulin to give yourself. What the closed-loop insulin delivery systems are doing are putting uh, something called a control algorithm. It doesn't necessarily need to be a device, but it's a control algorithm in the middle. And so what that's doing is it's in a, a computer algorithm uh, that is often built into the, it's currently built into the insulin pump, but in the future will actually run as an app on your cell phone um, that knows where you're, where it, it's predicting what your, your glucose levels are going to do. It's learning from what's happened over the last week, what's happened when it's given you a certain amount of insulin, how your body reacted, what your body's sensitivity or resistance is to insulin. You still have to, and we'll, I'll go into this in a minute, but you still have to tell it that you're going to eat. Um, you still have to tell it if you're going to exercise. So we don't consider this an, a fully artificial pancreas because you can't just put these devices on you and walk away. There's still a lot of work effort involved, um, but it does provide uh, some autonomous control of, of your basal rates and your blood sugars. And so the, the JDRF created these six categories uh, of, of the artificial pancreas development. Um, and I'll walk through what they all are, but I think oftentimes the media will say the artificial pancreas is here, and we have to kind of dial that back and explain what, what, what's really here and what it really means and what we really have. So stage zero would be just an insulin pump on its own with you making all of the decisions. Uh, stage one uh, we had many years ago, which is if the glucose level on the continuous glucose monitor got very low, the algorithm would say, I'm shutting insulin off. So it would just shut off your basal insulin uh, if it sensed that things were going low. Uh, stage two and, and what uh, the company um, Tandem has currently and something called basal IQ 
uh, is predictive low glucose suspend. So it doesn't just shut off insulin, basal insulin, when you go low. It actually predicts when you're going to go low and shuts it off trying to prevent the low blood sugar from happening. What the 670G is is really stage four, and we call this hybrid closed loop. So 24-7, as long as everything is connected and working as it's supposed to, it is adjusting your basal insulin rates completely in the background uh, without you uh, making changes to your basal insulin rates. So again, you still have to tell it that you're going to eat. You still have to give it your carbohydrates before you eat. Ideally, you're still doing that before you eat. Um, to give your body the best chance of of using the insulin well for your meal. Um, But the basal insulin rates are adjusting continuously in the background. What we really want to get to is stage five and six, and that's really when we're getting to fully autonomous uh, insulin delivery. Uh, We're not there yet, and I would say we're still many years away uh, from that happening. I'll show you in a minute. There is one company um, that is using dual hormone uh, closed loop therapy, and I'll talk a minute in a minute about what that is. But they're not available on the market uh, on the market now. So the best you can do right now is the 670G tandem will be coming out hopefully sometime in the next year with what they're calling Control IQ, which is going to use the same pump, but there'll be a software update uh, to let you get hybrid closed loop that will be similar to what you're getting from uh, Medtronic. So the way we think about using these devices today is really like bumper bowling. So they are pretty effective at keeping you out of the gutters. It is not, I I, I took my daughter last weekend, you're not going to get a strike every time. So um, it's really important to have the right expectations. And again, I think, you know, the media says artificial pancreas and people think, okay, it's solved, I can plug this thing in and forget about it, and you you really can't. You still have a, a, a lot of work to do. Uh, when you're wearing these. And so uh, Gary Shiner, who's a great diabetes educator uh, in Pennsylvania, put this slide together, and I I think we've really found this to be true in our practice. Um, The people who who seem to benefit the most from the 670G are people who have relatively regimented lifestyles. If you, uh, you know, have shift work that's very variable from day to day, you one time working a night, another time working a day, it can be very hard for the algorithm to learn what your patterns are because it's only remembering your last seven days. This is not, it, it is advanced, but it is not so advanced that it's learning you forever and ever and ever and getting better and better over time. It's just remembering your last seven days. And so if your lifestyle is erratic, it just does not work very well. Um, There are still a lot of sort of little technical hiccups. It freezes and sometimes asks you for a blood sugar again and again. So you do have to be a little bit more on the technical savvy side to use it. Um, A lot of people who use insulin pumps traditionally really like to be involved and hands-on and changing their settings and and making changes. And that's, that's, we really like that and we encourage it. This device is really not great for people who want to be hands-on. It is because it's adjusting things in the background, we find that people kind of fight it a little bit if if they're too hands-on, and the algorithm's trying to do one thing and you're trying to do another, and and it can be a little bit complicated. Uh, Anything else you want to? No, I think that's... Probably we do find that some people are having no problems at all. Everybody, everything's great, and other people are having all kinds of problems. Yeah. And some of the problem is, is like Aaron said, things going on with the uh, sensor. Um, 
and it seems that it happens at night when people are trying to sleep and they get alarm after alarm after alarm and after they've been awake all night finally it says sensor failed and they have to start over again so it's a little frustrating but really the even the ones who are most frustrated will say that despite it all it does a better job than what they were doing on their own so I think there are some benefits but um, it's going into it with the right expectations and not expecting that it is going to be a hands-off because it it's learning when to step in and when to step back. And that's probably the hardest part of it. So who does what when you're using a 670G? Um, So working with uh, your clinician, you're going to set up the carb ratios. You're going to tell it how long you want the insulin to act for. And you still have to put in all of those manual mode settings like you might put in an insulin pump normally because it does kick you out of auto mode or sometimes the sensor fails and so you have to have your your regular manual mode settings in there. Um, The algorithm does automatically determine your basal rates like I was saying it automatically determines your sensitivity factor um, and the target is preset at 120 milligrams per deciliter unless you tell it you're exercising when it sets the target to 150 milligrams per deciliter. So again, for people, there are people who want really tight blood sugar control. They always want to be 85. Um, this is going to make it impossible because it's going to be trying to push you higher towards 120. Uh, as the user or the patient, you still have to do uh, two to four finger stick calibrations per day for Medtronic's sensor. So unlike the other sensors, they still do require finger stick calibrations. And again, you still have to tell it if you're going to eat and how much um, and put in uh, finger sticks for correctional boluses. There are also some features that people like to use in their insulin pumps that are no longer available. So you can't uh, set a temporary basal rate or some people will do something called a square wave or a dual wave bolus with an insulin pump, which is if you're eating a very high-fat meal and you can no longer have that level of control uh, when you're using the the closed-loop system. So here's what it's doing uh, in action, and I want to take a minute to kind of show you because I think uh, this is really fascinating. So on top here, you're looking at a continuous glucose monitoring tracing from a 670G user. Each of these dots are their finger stick levels, and everything else is from the CGM. What you're seeing below here in the purple are their insulin boluses. So this is telling it that you're eating 30 grams of carbohydrate and it's gonna give 4.3 units of insulin. But what, what the 670G is really doing are these pink spikes here. So this is the, the algorithm changing basal insulin rates, turning it on and off and on and off in a, in a very pulsatile fashion based on, so this is the person, uh, let's see, that's middle of the night. So here we are. So midnight to 6 a.m., you can see that the basal insulin is kind of going on and off, and it's keeping the person in a relatively stable blood sugar range, which can be really hard to do. Um, and then here they ate a meal, they took a dose of insulin, maybe it wasn't enough, the blood sugar got really high, and so in trying to compensate, the algorithm said, whoa, we're going to turn the insulin level way up. We're going to try to bring the person back down. And sure enough, it did. And then it shut itself back on and then, oh, sorry, shut itself back off and then kept going. So 
there are many hassles and problems. These are, this is the first generation device. Um, as with any first generation device, there's lots of issues, but you can start to see the promise of how these things uh, can be incredibly impactful, incredibly helpful, and as future generations come out, they're gonna get better and better. So one thing I always like to show, because this is uh, incredibly cool uh, in the diabetes community, uh, this is a woman uh, named um, Dana Lewis. She and her now husband, Scott Liebrand, probably five years ago now, um, he was a, a programmer at Microsoft, and she was a woman with type 1 diabetes. And they decided, there, at the time, there, there was no closed-loop insulin delivery system. So him being a computer programmer, he decided to try to hack her insulin pump. Um, there's actually been a lot of newspaper stories about them now. So he did. So he actually wrote an algorithm. He hacked her pump. He took a, 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 a small portable computer. This was, they've gotten a lot smaller now. Now they fit in like a tic-tac box. Um, but uh, they built their own closed-loop insulin delivery system, and there are now hundreds of people around the world using this open APS system and, and doing quite quite well. They tend to be people who are really you know, engineers and good with technology because you still have to build it yourself. It's not FDA approved. And so it's, it's very much people who want to be in control uh, themselves. Um, there then um, came a, another group of people who decided to take it one step further and built something called Loop, which actually is an iPhone app. Uh, that allows you to control the closed-loop system on the iPhone app, and there are thousands of people around the world, I think even hundreds in the Bay Area alone, who are using these and have really built their own closed-loop insulin delivery systems. Um, so what's been great about this is that I think it's pushed the industry, the, the actual manufacturers who make these things and get them FDA-approved, um, to drive themselves harder and faster to make better technology because I think patients kind of got tired of waiting uh, and took matters into their own hands and really drove the industry forward. And I think it's, it's a really um, inspiring lesson for people who have uh, all sorts of conditions to, to push industry to do things better and better. Um, so what else is coming in closed loop? So we mentioned that the Tandem closed loop has clinical trials uh, that are ongoing. Um, Omnipod, for people who really don't want the tubing um, and want to wear a patch pump, they are also in clinical trials. We don't really know when these are, are uh, to be expected. We're constantly hearing different dates, but uh, they, they will be out you know, in the next one to two years uh, if, they, if all goes well and they get FDA approval. Um, Tide pool. Um, I talked uh, just a second ago about the, the patients who built their own closed-loop system. So JDRF actually decided um, to push forward something called the Open Protocol Insulin Delivery uh, in, uh, in 2017. And what they're trying to do is allow patients to choose their own components and piece them together to build a closed-loop insulin delivery system. So today, when you use the Medtronic system, um, it's a little bit more like the Apple ecosystem where everything you have to use uh, has to be Apple to talk to each other. So you have to use the Medtronic sensor, you have to use the Medtronic pump, you have to use the Medtronic algorithm, and they all work together as a system. What this is doing is really breaking that apart and, and saying you might want to choose one manufacturer's continuous glucose monitor and another manufacturer's pump 
and an algorithm or an app that goes on your phone from somebody else. And so the FDA, along with JDRF, is actually trying to create that kind of an interoperable ecosystem where you can choose and mix and match devices together. So, so Tidepool as a company is actually going to try to um, commercialize and go through the FDA to get that Loop iPhone app approved. Uh, yeah. No, I, what if I just want to get some information? I don't want any insulin. I have been known to have hyperinsulinemia from time to time, and I just want some information so I can figure out my patterns a little bit better. Mm -hmm. What would you suggest? Yeah, so for, um, for a sort of short term, just want to learn a little bit more, I think that's where the Libre uh, really comes in well. Um, Dexcom can be very expensive, requires a lot of insurance authorizations, um, and when you get a Libre, as I sort of mentioned earlier, you can just get one for 14 days, where it gets 14 days worth of information, pay one time, not a lot of expensive uh, equipment to go along with it and, and get a lot of information. So as you can see, there's a couple of more companies working on, on closed-loop insulin delivery, um, and so there will be a lot more options coming uh, forward in the years. So I think the big, you know, if you're going to walk away from here with a couple of big-picture lessons, I think one is to start thinking beyond the A1C. A1C is still a very important measure, and we, we still check it, and, uh, but... There is a lot more information out there to be had, and so for a lot of people, the A1C alone is not enough. Um, who should be getting continuous glucose monitoring? I think everyone who has type 1 diabetes should wear a continuous glucose monitor. I think probably many or most people who have type 2 diabetes would benefit even just from a short 14-day wear, maybe don't need it all of the time, but could learn a lot of really helpful information about themselves and their blood sugars. Um, I also think there are some people who might have other risk factors. If you have a family history, if you've got uh, a woman who's going to be getting pregnant and um, has a family history of diabetes and is at risk, I think there are other people who might benefit from a, a short wear of a continuous glucose monitoring. There isn't really yet a lot of clinical trials or information on that, but I think it's relatively low risk um, and, and might provide some benefit with people. Again, there's a lot more emerging options for mobile connected coaching services. So there are, I showed that slide with a lot of different companies, and I think you can get the slides online so you can go back and look. There's a lot of companies now who will let you sign up for a monthly fee and um, provide coaching uh, online. And as we just talked about, a lot more options coming in closed-loop insulin delivery for people with type 1 diabetes. So... I always like to end with my, my, my faraway prediction. So here's where I think by 2025, um, this is where I think things will be. So I think if you have type 2 diabetes, I think finger sticks will, will be gone. I think for many people that, that may happen even sooner, um, but I think continuous glucose monitoring is going to get smaller, cheaper, easier, um, and um, the days of really painful finger pricking will, will soon be over. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think we'll have a lot more options around virtual care and remote coaching so that there will be you know, some, whether it's a person or an algorithm uh, helping to actually coach you based on what your data is continuously. I think same thing for type 1 diabetes. I think finger sticks will be 
uh, essentially gone. I think continuous glucose monitors will last much longer than they do. Uh, 10 or 14 days, same thing. They will get smaller and cheaper, and we're going to get much closer um, to autonomous closed-loop insulin delivery in the next um, five years. Will we get to fully autonomous in five years? Maybe, maybe not, but we'll be much closer to it uh, than we are today. Um, and I think for people with type 1 diabetes, and I already do this in my own practice, I look much more at those time and range metrics and what your blood sugars are um, than what your, what your hemoglobin A1C is. And so I think a really important thing to take away here is if you are someone who's using insulin and you're working with a clinician and all they're talking about is A1C, I would say push them um, to think about continuous glucose monitoring and about looking uh, in more detail at the data to see if you might be having high blood sugars and low blood sugars and if you might be able to learn a lot more uh, than you do just from an A1C. So with that, um, we are happy to take lots of questions. Yes? So it's a great question. So the question is, as things are up and running, you know, you've got connected devices, what is the role of the clinical team? It's changing. Um, so most, most medical centers, most doctor's offices were set up to have you come in every three months, get an A1C, um, you know, maybe look at your logbook with your finger sticks, and all of a sudden you've got hundreds of thousands of continuous glucose monitoring data points coming in. Um, and so we're trying to change the way we deliver care. Um, we do use um, the, the websites that I showed you to, to look at the data. Um, we uh, don't yet have, uh, you know, I think where we'd ideally like to get to is sort of like a a tiered system where maybe the first stop is, is the computer gets smart enough to kind of be watching you all the time and, you know, sort of do a check engine light kind of thing. And if something's wrong, then maybe there's a clinician who, who looks at that information and then you come in to meet with your team to actually, like, do your, your big checkup, your big maintenance every once in a while. It's going to take time for the delivery, the healthcare delivery system, to move in that direction, and so we're not, you know, we're not there yet. But uh, we're slowly over time moving that way. Yeah. So I am so grateful you asked that question. So the question was: Is there any animosity between the medical community and the companies building these devices? So on one hand, I would say no. I think they are doing their best to create devices that are that are useful for patients. We wish they would go faster, you know, just like anything else, and make things better more quickly. Um, there is one place where I do have some animosity, and I'm, I'm more than happy to, to have all of you become advocates for this. So um, there was a law passed in 2016 called the 21st Century Cures Act that uh, gives every person in the United States uh, the right to have access to their health information. And so UCSF and other medical centers, uh, it just in the last year, we have, uh, you can now actually on your iPhone or from other places, you can go download your health information or the basic parts of your health information from your electronic health record. It is your legal right, um, and we've connected it so that you can go do that. It is not the same for these device companies. So they are not under any, the, the law did not yet apply to them, so they're not currently under any legal mandate um, to give you access to the data from your device. So most of them will provide their own software for you to, to use and go look at it, but if you want to go use different software, if you wanted to pull it 
uh, into something like Apple Health, or uh, there, are, uh, there are others, but Apple Health is really the, the largest one. Um, there are some companies, so Dexcom, for example, allows you to do that, but there are others who don't. Um, and so I think <clears throat> it's important for everyone here to speak up about that, you know, Write your Congress people and, and tell them that you think the 21st Century Cures Act should apply to the device manufacturers as well. Yeah. As a physician, how do you feel about the quality of data that these devices collect compared to a finger stick? Yeah. You know, you have a certain, you know, a certain reliability that, that you are accustomed to. How do, you, how do you feel about the devices? Are they so um, it depends on the device. So they're getting better. Um, so one of the slides I showed had a number called the MARD, and that more or less is, is showing you the error rate of the, of the devices. It's how accurate they are compared to the finger sticks. A few years ago, those MARDs were up in the 13, 14, 15% ranges. They're now down to about 8 or 9%, so they're getting much better. Um, one thing that's really important to say is that the continuous glucose monitors, because they're sitting in the subcutaneous tissue, they're not actually reading blood. So the finger stick is getting blood, and that is really the source of truth for what is your blood sugar. These are reading uh, sub, uh, interstitial fluid in the fat, and there is a lag time. So a lot of times people come in and they say, I looked at my CGM number and then I checked my finger stick and they're not the same. And it, sometimes it's because the CGM may not be perfectly accurate, but sometimes it's just because there is a lag and it's expected. And so at the end of the day, the, the, the true number is, or the closest thing to the true number is a, is a blood sugar. There are still a lot of accuracy problems, though, even with finger sticks. So finger sticks, remember, if your finger might have food on it, isn't perfectly clean. There are a lot of people who are buying strips off the Internet, test strips off the Internet that might you know, not be manufactured properly or might have sat in a warehouse that was hot. And so we've come to believe that finger sticks are perfect. They're really not. It's really a, a lab blood sugar is the, is the gold standard. Finger sticks do pretty well. And CGMs are doing almost as well uh, as blood sugars as, as a finger stick, but you're also getting so much more information that even if the accuracy is a little less good, I think it's kind of overwhelmed by how much more information you get. You wanna... I, I agree. I think we were so used to looking at these points in time of the finger stick readings. Now we're trying to refocus and look more at what's the trend and what's the pattern. Does this happen every day? Is this something that um, we could change? I think that we're, we're kind of getting away from that um, single point in time. So yeah. our minds are changing. The arrows allow prevention. So if you get arrows down on your glucose monitoring, you can essentially almost 100% prevent hypoglycemia. That's too extreme? <laughs> At least I can. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're paying attention to those arrows on your, C on your CDM, it gives, even if it's not actually precise, you can prevent impending low blood sugar, which yep. is amazing. I yep. mean, we've just never had that ability with points in time. So I also teach my patients to look at, they say all the time, oh, my finger stick said this and my CGM said this. Is it accurate? And so you have to kind of relearn that the, the directional arrows give you so much more information. So 
So you, I'm reteaching people all the time about the meaning of their information. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, a blood sugar of 120 without, you know, where it's predicting that you're, you're staying the same is very different from 120 rising rapidly is very different from 120 falling quickly. The, the way you might think about those and approach them are all very different. And so completely agree that um, it, it, it's a reframing of the way you think about it. So I wanted to just get back to um, the lady over here who asked the question oh, yeah. so we don't miss her, um, her. So her question was about piecing together your own um, pump insulin pump versus using one that's FDA approved and on the market? Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah. I, can, you, I mean... You yeah, the components are pretty yeah. cheap. So the, yeah. I mean, you know, you're buying... So they all use a Dexcom CGM, so you're paying like you would for a Dexcom CGM. Currently, they, the, the systems use um, a very old Medtronic pump that people have figured out how to hack. Um, and those can be very expensive because they've gotten rarer and rarer. So they're sort of um, on eBay and places like that. And I think I think they people they are, used to be cheaper, but they've the, up the, price. the price has been driven up quite a lot. Um, the the components that sit in the middle are I think a hundred or two hundred bucks for Link yeah the Riley Link computer. It's like a tiny computer that are that are relatively cheap. Um, and then the hack the hack is. Um, <clears throat> People are willing to go and show you how to actually do the hack. I mean, this is a really open community. So if, yeah, people are willing to show you how to do the programming, how to do the hack into the, into the system. It's just that those pumps used to be valueless. They're old. <laughs> they used to be zero. So, sorry, Kyle. They used to be, like, valueless, these old pumps, because they were third generation, you know, three generations ago, but now there's a black market for them, unfortunately. So uh, you have to have resources to get the pump, the old pumps to hack. Yeah, so um, what the A1C is, is your your, um, red blood cells have hemoglobin in them, um, and the A1C uh, is looking at how much glucose attaches to the hemoglobin. Your your red blood cells live on average about 90, sometimes 120 days, but around 90 days. And so the blood test is measuring the average amount of glucose stuck to your red blood cells. Um, And because the red blood cells live about 90 days, it's about a 90-day average. So any disease, actually, that changes your red blood cells can impact the accuracy of the A1C. So if you get a blood transfusion... If you have chronic kidney disease, that can sometimes affect your red blood cells. If you have certain types of anemia, um, it can affect your red blood cells. So, so really anything that can impact how long your red blood cells live or the shape of the red blood cells can sort of impact the accuracy of the test. Sure. Yeah, so the question is, um, with all this technology, why haven't we seen something that is all uh, encompassing, one box, easy to use. Um, I think there are companies that are trying to get there. I think it's just still very early. Um, so, for example, all of the, clo- the closed-loop systems that are in development right now, or at least close to the market, still require a separate site for the CGM sensor and for the insulin pump. I know there's been a lot of thinking and testing around using one puncture or one site to do it. Um, but no company has really figured that out quite yet. Um, so I think one thing would be getting 
getting same site insulin delivery and continuous glucose monitoring. The other piece is really about the software and, and just making things easy to use. Um, and I think, honestly, part of the problem is that closed-loop insulin delivery systems are built for the type 1 diabetes market, which, from a financial perspective, is a small... As these big drug companies look at this, it's a pretty small market. And so there's not enough of a financial incentive. Um, you know, you've got just a few companies who are making these things, and so there's not as much competition as, say, in the auto industry or these other industries where there's a lot of competition and really big dollars to drive companies to make really great consumer products. There's not been that drive in, in the type 1 world. Yeah, so... Um, it's, a, it's a great question. So the question is about if you have type 1 diabetes, can you use a Libre? So my general rule is it's better than nothing, um, but I prefer, I, I recommend people use a, a, a true continuous glucose monitor. So Marlene was, was showing and talking about the Libre is not actually transmitting your blood sugars in real time. So even though it's gathering them, you have to actually take something and scan it to get your reading. And so one problem with type 1 is you might get a low blood sugar and not realize it. This often happens in the middle of the night, but it can happen during exercise and any time of day. And the other continuous, the truly continuous glucose monitors will send you an alert and, and your phone will beep or vibrate or the device will vibrate and warn you and alert you that that's happening. Um, and the Libre doesn't yet do that. I believe their next generations probably will. But so for me, that's a very important function. And so for me, I really recommend people with type 1 don't use a Libre. But if people have, uh, have reasons why they don't want to use one of the other ones, it's absolutely still better to use a Libre than, than something else, than, than finger sticks. And better than finger sticks. Yeah. I'll add to that, because Dr. Neinstein works with adults and I work with teenagers. Oh, yes. So the Libre has been really amazing for my teenagers who have what I call alarm fatigue. So when you wear CGMs, we try to make the alarms as infrequent as possible with teenagers, whereas I might have tons of alarms on mine to let me know when I'm going up and I'm going down. My adolescents with diabetes, they, get, they just don't want to be alarmed in the middle of class. They're embarrassed. They put it on vibrate. They, they start ignoring their alarms. And so... The Libre is an option. Um, they, they give up on their sensors. They take them off. They, they refuse to wear them. They, 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 they take a hammer and they crash their transmitters. <laughs> They've done all kinds of things. So the Libre is a step where they have the power to choose when to look at the blood sugar. Now, they still need to look at that blood sugar at least three times a day in order to, make, to, sink, to get the continuous feed. So you have to actually wand the Libre three times a day, and then it connects all 24 hours of data. So we work with them to try to get them to interact with their data at least three times a day. More is better, of course. But I'm finding that the adolescents I put on Libres are, are then getting more data than they were on finger sticks, which is like sometimes one every other day. I mean, they get, they get burnt out very easily because of their developmental stage. So... Um, and that happens with some adults. They don't want the they don't want the alarm fatigue. They don't want the constant alarming, and so they want to be in 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 control of when they're engaging with the data. So for what's up? Yeah. Um, all right. So we have the devices up here. Thank you mm -hmm. so much for your attention and your great questions. Um, this was really fun.
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.